Hey, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Ryan Dawson of Anti-Neocon Report. How's your day going, man? I have, I have had better days, but I'm not going to burden you with it. All good. That's part of the process, man. Bad days come and go. All right. Well, my audience may not be fully acquainted with your body of work. Could you give them a brief overview of what you do? Well, I'm a geopolitical analyst. That's a mouthful, I suppose. <laughs> but um, I guess I'm most well known for my work on September 11th, and which is very different from <laughs> what people might assume. Like I'm not one. I'm not a 9/11 cooker. I'm also not a government shill. A very nuanced point of view on on that event and other events: the Iraq War, the Syrian War, the invasion of Libya, the current situation with Ukraine. Like. Because all our government ever does is lie about everything. I mean, going on back, Gulf of Tonkin, you keep on going back to the Civil War. They just lie, 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 lie. However, the, um, the sort of official, unofficial stories are just as bad sometimes, where I call it kookification, where, yeah, the government story is baloney, but like the JFK assassination or September 11th or Iran-Contra, the the alt theory is worse than uh, the sort of government-approved one. And so that's where I, I'm kind of stuck in the middle where the, I'm always debunking government propaganda and I'm also debunking the Alex Jones propaganda because it's usually just as bad or worse. I'm just using him as an example, but you know what I mean? There's always some... Yeah. Every time there's a school shooting, somebody's going to run out and say it's fake. People call contrails chemtrails. Every time, uh, it, you know, you can't have, you can't talk about COVID nineteen without some weirdo being a virus denier. You can't talk about September eleventh without somebody acting like there are no airplanes. You know what I mean? And it's just, <laughs> it's quite the headache. So I'm kind of known as the a conspiracy theorist that hates the other conspiracy theorists. But <laughs> conspiracies are not anything special. I mean, I, I call them spoiler alerts. But every time. Any intelligence agency, CIA, FSB, KGB, MI6, whatever, does a covert operation, that's a conspiracy. You, you organized deception and did things that would otherwise be considered illegal and you did it in secret. That's not uh, rare. We have convictions of conspiracy, right? In the financial conspiracies, especially white collar crime. So they happen. Uh, you can see them recently that cover up, you know, for a year and a half of Hunter Biden's laptop and that they conspired to do that. All the mass media, social media, they don't talk about this till after the election, if at all. Right. That and it's real. I mean, he's got several laptops. The things on him were real. They were authenticated. And what they do, they just they blamed it all on Russia and said Russian disinfo. That is a conspiracy, a false one. Like they created a fake conspiracy about Russia, just lying, to cover up uh, a real crime, which was the Biden family, the whole syndicate and all their ties to Ukraine and China and many other uh, criminal syndicates around the world, to, to be quite blunt. And it's not just hunters, all of them. They're a bunch of pedophiles. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. I get into Jeffrey Epstein, the real, the real ring there, the giant state-sponsored blackmail ring that used pedophilia as a weapon. It wasn't just a couple of perverted billionaires. So I guess 
on a daily basis, I'm usually debunking war profiteering and war propaganda, but I've made films about September 11th, uh, the Kennedy assassinations, both um, most recently, New Mech, How Israel Stole the Bomb. Um, I did a 50-year history of the CIA fuckery called Decades of Deception. I did Trump's sinus ball and chain, and I did the Biden crime syndicate. You know, either party, doesn't matter. And it's amazing to me what the press will criticize these people for. Like, they criticize Donald Trump for all this nonsense identity politics and not the stuff he was actually, like, really guilty of in the Kushner Sioux. And then Biden, they man, they give him a pass on everything. He's up there sniffing kids' heads on film, and it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> taking showers with his daughter and had combing her hair on the bed naked and <laughs> just cre- yeah. you know, creepy Uncle Joe stuff doesn't matter. Like, yeah, going back to 9-11, how would you say your perspective on 9-11 differs from the more conventional truth or theories out there? And could you also give a brief summary of like the most popular truth or th- theories too? Yeah, I mean, my, my biggest divergence probably this timeline here on the anthrax. People forgot about the anthrax. There was an anthrax attack following September 11th from somebody that they originally blamed on Al-Qaeda. Then they blamed it on Iraq. And they said the two were working together. They were not. Then they blamed it on this guy, Bruce Ivins from Fort Detrick. He worked in Fort Detrick, Maryland, where they do gain-of-function research on uh, where they weaponize viruses. Let's, let's use the right words. And he was suicided before he had a trial. But, you know, the letters said, death to America, death to Israel. <laughs> and they were mailed from the hijacker locations. And it's a complex story. But essentially, you had former DCI like James Woolsey, who only got his position in the Clinton administration because of blackmail from Epstein, saying these fantastical stories that he got from the Israelis. And some checks saying that, yeah, Mohammed Atta met in Prague with senior Iraqi officials and they gave him anthrax and that's who sent the anthrax. That was a complete lie. But that was one of the supposed weapons of mass destruction that Iraq was accused of being in possession of, which was the legal reason for the second war in Iraq was they're supposedly in violation of UN Resolution 1441 stipulating they couldn't have WMDs, which included VX gas and anthrax. And you know, serial liars like Judith Miller are talking about these mobile weapons labs that didn't exist. Colin Powell goes to the UN and gives a speech where he had to use cartoons because there were no mobile weapons labs. And he, he brought in a mock file of anthrax. And that the anthrax attack follow-up to 9-11 is what scared everyone to death about a biological attack that was coming. And there was one. I mean, people died from anthrax spores. And they tried to kill Senator Leahy and they tried to kill Senator Daschle. Uh, Patrick Leahy had a Leahy Amendment, which would have um, forbidden Israel to get military aid from the United States that tried to kill him. But you had an intelligence agency claiming that they witnessed a transfer of anthrax between Iraq and Al-Qaeda at a meeting that never took place between two parties that didn't have anthrax. So they just made that up. And there was never any consequence for that. And that led to the war in Iraq, where over a million people were murdered far worse than 9-11. They associated 9-11 to Iraq, and Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11. So that's one big chunk of it that no one, they never talk about it. They're always talking about physics and building seven or whatever, and not 
well, what was the purpose of 9-11? What did it lead to? How did we transition from the Cold War to the war on terror? And where are all these trillions of dollars? What is it being spent? All that's missing because all that stuff is complicated. The, the gist you asked me, like, what are the most truth or things? It's basically how, you know, the buildings fell too quickly based on eyeballing it. So there must have been bombs. That's what every, that's all of them. And then they get goofy from there where they, some of them add miniature nukes, which don't exist. Like you cannot nuke only three buildings. A nuke would take out all of New York, even the smallest nukes like Hiroshima. It would just, you know, anyway, do weapons. That's even dumber. These direct energy weapons, that's Judy Wood. Uh, justification. Boland says a missile hit building six. Some of them think a missile hit the Pentagon. That Flight 93 was shot out of the air. What are some other ones? Oh, they completely botched the Israeli art student story. Like It's like I don't even have the energy to, to walk through all the stupid. And what has happened is there's legit solid evidence of state support of Al-Qaeda during 9-11. Saudi Arabia and Israel both involved. But you can't get in your foot in the door to start explaining that evidence without somebody automatically assuming, oh, you're one of those? You think a missile at the Pentagon? You th- do you think... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or worse, you think it's holograms or, right? So, oh, that brings back memories. You know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah. okay, these people are baffled. They're like, there's 87 cameras and stuff. So, okay, look, there's a giant airplane sized hole in the first floor of the Pentagon. Loose change in all these films omit, like, specifically only showed you the second floor and pretended, like, look, a, a plane can't fit in an 18 foot hole. Like, yeah, we agree, but it's not an 18-foot hole. It's 90 feet on the bottom. And then where the tail took out a little bit of the second floor, that's all they're looking at. The camera stuff doesn't matter. They got that number based on an affidavit that was pulling all footage 9-11. Almost all of it was of New York. The cameras they do have at the Pentagon are usually inside the Pentagon. And the ones they have outside are pointed at the doors, not some random middle of the wall next to a bush for some reason right? They're not filming that area. And they're just not designed to catch airplanes zipping across the parking lot. They're just filming people walking back and forth with their cars and going in the building. And most of what, you know, a plane ran into it. So they're all annihilated as soon as it hits. You ain't getting that footage. But you don't need it though. I mean, there, there were parts of the plane still in the building. We have DNA of all the passengers, dental records, and you know, there's just no motive for this switcheroo shit either. Like, if you're going to say it was hit by a plane and you, you definitely ran planes into the buildings in New York, why not just hit it with the plane? And they did. And it's, it's important, it's really important to admit there's a plane because if you don't have a plane, first of all, you look like you're fucking retarded. But uh, aside from that, there was a very important event. Norman Veneto just passed away last month. We, you know, it was on record. He's the transportation secretary and he's talking about Dick Cheney you know, refusing to shoot down a plane. You say the 30 miles out, 20 miles out, the orders still stand and Dick Cheney's getting all angry. He's like, yeah, of course it is because Al-Qaeda fucked up on Flight 77. They, uh, they came in at too high an altitude and had to loop back around. And this isn't some corkscrew maneuver. This is like miles long, right? And then come at it again at a lower altitude and hit the first floor which is not some fantastic thing. Hitting the first floor of the building is no different than landing a plane on the runway. You just don't put the wheels down and you don't decelerate. Pretty easy to crash a plane. 
But anyway, uh, they act like it's an impossible maneuver. And like everyone saw a plane go to the Pentagon. No one saw it fly away from the Pentagon. You have 144 witnesses, debris, evidence, you know. But they won't let it go. They're like, no, nah, man, it's a missile. Fired from what? And what happened to the real plane? And what is the point? And what is the motive? There's no answer. Like, just asking questions, bro. Shut up. Uh, the other reason it's important to admit a plane, besides not looking crazy and implicating the vice president in the crime, is the fact that the hijackers on the plane had been followed, uh, traced by our own CIA to a Al-Qaeda summit meeting in Malaysia where they actually met and stayed the night with Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. And then they were living openly using their real names in California and had a Saudi agent live with them. They had another one buy them an apartment, give them money, logistical support. And the money trail goes all the way back to Bandar Bush, former head of like uh, Saudi Arabia's CIA. And that's state support for Al-Qaeda. And it's also the CIA, you know, either being extremely incompetent or looking away on purpose because they wanted it to happen. They allowed it to happen at minimal, right? And so these two of these guys, three of these guys, really, but Nawifa Hazvi and Khalid Al-Mildar was, um, they were on Flight 77 and they had gotten money from these two intermediaries, Osama Basnan and Omar Bayoumi. Omar Bayoumi is now on tape at a dinner party with these bastards. Uh, and it goes on and on. It's like they did a dry run in 1999. And, but we, we never get to, I never get to even say that part of the story because as soon as you start talking about airplanes and hijackers, half the people's brains is shut off and going, oh, you think there were hijackers? They're still alive, bro. It's all, it was remote <laughs> control drones and missiles and anything other than Flight 77. Flight 11, 175, and 93. No, they hijacked planes. They did. And they ran them into buildings. They did not run a plane into Building 7, but they did have another building fall on top of it. And they also refused to even try to fight it after a while because a lot of the fire department was dead because the first and second World Trade Center fell on them. And it's not some shock that Larry Silverstein got insurance on his buildings when the World Trade Centers had been attacked by terrorists in 1993 with drug bombs. Like, anyway, you know, so they, it's always people barking up the wrong tree. And I, and I hate defending Larry Silverstein. He's a total piece of shit for other reasons. But, you know, when you make an argument that bad, you know, it, you just, you're, you're not helping the cause. Just be quiet. Let the adults handle it. Um, because that's just a student. It's like saying cell phones don't work on planes. They called on an air phone. That's what they're designed for. And the information from those calls is vital. They only mentioned three hijackers on 93, for example, instead of four. And then we have this guy, the guy whose name is never mentioned, right? Ziad Al-Jara. This who they, by the way, they found his passport. Uh-huh. He had two first cousins working in Israeli intelligence. They got busted months after 9-11 in Lebanon. They've been spying on Hezbollah, one of them since the 80s. What are the odds that a 9-11 pilot hijacker has family in Israeli intelligence? And for some reason, his voice and name are not on the black box from Flight 93 like he never got on the plane. And part of that information is gandered from the air phone calls. Well, 9-11 truths, like, ah, ignore all these calls. They're fake, right? Oh, ignore all this paper trail, the hijackers on the planes going back to the Saudis because they're not real. 
Even the plane wasn't real. I call them the 9-11 half-planers. They capitulate on New York, but they deny D.C. And they also think the one in Pennsylvania was blown out of the sky, whatever. And, uh, you know, they are the problem. I don't have any problem talking to anybody intelligent about 9-11 and convincing them about what I know if they haven't been kookified. The problem is people just go, eh, they don't even want to hear it because they've already been approached by these dogmatic cult-like, no, it's not, they are a cult, this cult of 9-11 truth. And what about AE 9-11 engineers? Like those people, first of all, they're lying to you. They didn't have thousands of engineers. They just went around and asked everybody if you supported investigation in 9-11. If they said yes, they, that counts, right? As an engineer, and he he supports this. They didn't know. Um, and how can you have architectural opinions about a building that you don't even know the architecture for? Griffin, uh, that other charlatan, uh, Gage, all these bastards have said they said it on uh, National Geographic or Discovery, whatever. Oh, a plane can't smash through six reinforced walls and the rings of the Pentagon, da, 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 da. dude the Pentagon does not have rings on the lower floors. It's just the upper floors. It's shaped like a king's crown. So there's only two walls and they were not reinforced. That's a myth from loose change. And they did not have steel plating and all this shit either. They were being renovated. That's not what they were doing. It's just bricks. That's all it was. You can see it from the hole. You can see the, the slice all the way through. Like everything they say is a lie. Oh, there's not stuff on the lawn. The lawn's not adjacent to the Pentagon. The parking lot is. Do you think they parked, got out of their cars, and then walked across the lawn and then went in? I mean, it's just stupid. But they they have so many ad hoc hypotheses that you run out of energy debunking all the crap because then they just there's you know fifty more for everything you you cover, and you're forced on the defense for 90% of the conversation, debunking all this bullshit that has come out of AE 911 and these other kooks, loose change especially. And three of those, two of the three of those guys have recanted. It's just Jason Burmis that's still trying to milk that grift. But uh, because you have to spend so much time proving, no, I'm not, I don't deny the moon landing. No, I don't think school shootings are fake. No, I'm not one of these people. You never get to go on the offense. And that's what the 9-11 kook movement does. Like, I have to waste all my time proving I'm not one of those people before I can even start explaining what actually did happen and how we know. It's frustrating. <laughs> no, I definitely feel that. And this conversation has actually triggered some flashbacks of like my time interacting with several truthers when I worked at this conspiracy bookstore in Austin called Braveview Books. And something that I'm beginning to realize actually is how many of these people downplayed Israel's role mm-hmm. in 9-11, but also its influence on U.S. foreign policy altogether. Which leads me to this point. Why do you believe the Israel question is so important for those of us who want to expose all of like the dirty laundry of like the neocon agenda. I mean, Israel's guilty of enough things even without 9-11. If you didn't have a clue about 9-11, they'd still be annexing Palestine and shooting kids and bulldozing down homes and started the war in Iraq, lied about Syria. It's like you don't even have to add extra stuff. But 
It's because it's true. I mean, they were celebrating the attacks. They had all these different moving companies that were front companies. There were people busted in the towers doing illegal work on the fire prevention systems, which they sabotage, which maximize the damage from the fire. You know, the problem is you cannot get someone on TV or even social media to talk ill about Israel on anything. Because you'll lose your account, you'll lose your payment process. There are consequences when you go after Israel. And as Kevin Strom said, to learn who rules over you, just see who you're not allowed to criticize. You can criticize Biden, you could criticize Trump, you could criticize Obama. You are not allowed to criticize Netanyahu. You are not allowed to criticize Zionism, because that's who has the power. In your time working in this scene and providing like these alternative perspectives to like 9-11 and geopolitics, have you seen more interest in your theories among like the American populace when it comes to like Israel's involvement in 9-11 and just Israel's influence on U.S. foreign policy altogether? Yeah, and I, you just reminded me to bring up another way they kookify things. So one, one way they do it is with the ridiculous, just, you know, airplane denial and that kind of stuff. The other thing, especially when you're bringing up Israeli crimes, and to a degree, uh, when you talk about Saudi Arabia, they'll try this canard too. And that's when, a, when you get a bunch of people yelling anti-Semite and or worse, like actual anti-Semites. They're like, yeah, I, I love Ryan Dawson and Hitler. You know, I try to associate <laughs> you. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> dude, Israel is not the Jews, okay? And Saudi Arabia is not the Muslims. It's those Jews and those Muslims. There's a very specific extremist case where you have Jewish supremacists, you have Salafist, Wahhabi, Al-Qaeda types. That is, they are Muslim. And yeah, Zionists are, most of them are Jews. But, you know, that's in anything. You have Christian extremists, you have pick something, you know. And what they try to do is act like uh, anything Israel does, the entire ethnic group is responsible for it. And that's stupid. But they, you know, I see that also with uh, like Juneteenth. Talk about ignorant. Juneteenth is not when slavery ended. That's when an order was given in Texas. Slavery continued in northern states until the 13th Amendment was passed December 6th, many months later, you know, six months later from Juneteenth. And they still had Chinese slavery. And actually, California, even though it was outlawed on paper, continued slavery up until the 1890s. But anyway, that's the thing you'll see talk about reparations or something. And they want to blame the entire white race. But the entire white race didn't own slaves. Just a few like rich families really <laughs> were responsible for the whole thing. And, but they want to collectivize a biological category for what individuals did. And then you'll see the same thing with Israel or, you know, a lot of these things is they want to blame Jews for what Zionists are doing or supremacists are doing. And in doing that, that's another way of discrediting somebody is saying, oh, yeah, I love your work. F the J's. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what we're about. You know, I mean, we're anti-neocon report. A lot of neocons were Jewish, but that's not shocking. That's like, yeah, lots of white supremacists are white. Makes sense. <laughs> like, Jewish yeah. supremacists are Jewish. Why wouldn't they be? Like, but it's a subset of a category. You can't flip that. You can't inverse that. It's kind of like uh, all dogs are animals, but not all animals are dogs. And uh, I don't know. That should be simple, but nowadays it isn't. The uh, the identitarians 
you know, the uh, the diversity cult, the multiculturalism cult, which they don't really want multi, they don't want multicultures. They want one kind of yeah, pan culture. Monoculture, yeah. exactly. And they don't really want diversity. They just want a bunch of different ethnic groups that are all liberal. <laughs> you know, there's no diversity. Yeah, it's just like deracinated automatons. Right. Reading scripts and stuff. And yeah, it's the, that's a stupid collectivist way of thinking. It's very anti-libertarian, very Hamiltonian, by the way, to say, oh, we got to have certain percentage of women and a certain percentage of this color and that color. And I'm like, Where, where's my left-handed green-eyed Eskimo uh, pilot surgeon or whatever it is? It's just silly. But um, that is where we're at. Like the virtue signaling has taken over. And a lot of it is because the history of World War II is taught in such a way that Hitler's racism becomes like the reason he did everything in the pinnacle of evil, uh, as if that differentiates the, not, the National Socialists from every, all the other parties. But when you look at it objectively, you're like, yeah, okay, they're bad, but the French Empire, the British Empire, the American Empire, the, the Soviet Union are hardly you know, little butterflies. These are imperialist colonial powers that murdered tens of millions. Uh, look at the map of all the territory they control. They didn't buy that land, you know. And, and so it's just like, you cannot just blame that all on the Germans, the Italians, the Japanese. I mean, when they weren't, what, what they did was absolutely wrong, but it wasn't any different than what the people they were fighting had been doing too. And Hitler's racism wasn't unique. I mean, damn, it's 1930s. Most everybody had that opinion. Yeah, big time. It was still, there was still racial segregation in America until the 1960s, way after the war. Most of continental Europe was pretty much like fascist or borderline fascist in like the 1930s. People tend to forget that. And we mean yeah. racial fascists. Yeah. Like, a, yeah. Not, yeah. They were. I mean, it's, it was, it was pretty rare for it to be otherwise. And uh, so it was nothing unique. And that's not what drove them. There were there were some people that wanted you know German folkland and blah, 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 but that's not why there was a war. Yeah, right. It, there was a World War One. That's why there was a World War Two. <laughs> the Treaty of Versailles, annexation of German lands, da da da, da and, you know a lot of very specific you know complex events happened. That's what caused the war. And yeah, people were racist in the thirties. Surprise, big deal. Whatever. It's not why they're fighting. I mean, he's allied with the Japanese, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, Try yeah. to be allied with Mexico and India. Like, anyway, but I think it's taught in such a way that the racism's the worst thing they did. And I'm thinking, no, I think the murder and the yeah. conquest. <laughs> yeah. But it isn't because we murdered in conquest. We nuked cities. Our country blew up babies. Boom. Erase Nagasaki off, just bop. You know, there's no comeback from that. I mean, you nuked and you did it twice to people who were already trying to surrender. You just flat out erased civilians. But at least you didn't say something racist, you know. <laughs> I don't think they cared whether you yelled the effing Japs or whatever because they're all going to die. And that The killing is obviously worse than a, your opinion on who, you know whose race is better at whatever. Yeah, big time. But it's weird, man, in the liberal mindset, like being a racist is worse than being a rapist. Like I could see them supporting pedophiles and, and grooming and oh, rape yeah. over oh, yeah. racism. Right? <laughs> like, 
Yeah, that's what's on deck, man. You see all these think pieces in the bobblehead media that that are like very much trying to normalize diaper sniping and like pedophilia and all this stuff. Like, not nah, man. Oh yeah, there. That's Derek Jensen. He's a sociologist. He wrote a book called "The Culture of Make Believe." I remember reading that when I was like eighteen or something. But um, he has this speech that you it might be gone from YouTube. I don't know, but he's talking about queer theory, and he just rolls through it and. They're all pedophiles. All, all the major philosophers, if you want to call them that, thinkers, whatever, they're all pedos. And he's saying, you, you have, you'll have a conflict where sometimes the social norms are wrong, right? All this, well, I don't know, prejudice to homosexuality or something. Where they're like, hey, that's just them, whatever. But so they, what they did is they adopted, well, because some social norms are wrong, all social norms are wrong. So anything normal, but most social norms are, are good. They're normal for a reason. They're agreed upon because they work. So they wanted to break down everything, break down the nuclear family, uh, turn it Frankfurt school at all, turn it all upside down on their heads. So like, oh, I can't have normal hair. I got to dye it purple. Oh, I got to put rings in my face. I got to do anything to break the social norm because it's an out, flat out rebellion against all normative values, including the protection of children. And so like the more taboo it is, the more they want to do it because this is like a rage against all normative values because they feel like I'm a prejudice, sexism, racism, whatever. And the funny thing is, is nobody is more judgmental, racist, and sexist than the radical left because they attribute everything you do to your biological category and sexual orientation and not just your individual decisions as a person. Yeah, that's the modern day left for you, man. They're pretty nutty. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you're based in Japan, correct? I am, yes. Have you noticed any significant pushback against like the excesses of U.S. foreign policy in your time there? I mean, they're always fighting in Okinawa about the marine bases and stuff down there. But Japan and the U.S. have a lot of overlapping interests. Like uh, Trump actually got the trade through. He got American beef in Japan. I was very happy about that. But by and large, you know, there's the Taiwan situation and North Korea situation, China. And so it's not like the U.S. is making Japan go along. They legit have most of the same concerns. But they could not get the Japanese to go along with the Gulf War or Syria or any any of the Middle Eastern policy. Japan's not into that. They actually gave money to Syria and Palestine. And so uh, there is a divide when there needs to be. But when it comes to the Asian political theater, you know, selling junk weapons like F-35s and stuff, uh, it's called soft power politics, where Japan sort of has to buy this crap because if they don't, they'll be, oh, well, then we're going to raise tariffs on Toyota and da, da, da. Like, you'll be punished economically unless you comply. And so in that way, the U.S. does bully and throw its weight around. And there's really not much Japan can do about that more than anywhere else. I mean, Japan used to be the second largest market after the U.S. is now third. Uh, but still, the gap is considerable. The U.S. market is far and above beyond the Chinese, the Japanese, or the, the whole EU even. Like it's in the trillions, tens of trillions. And that is not an easy problem to solve. They have a lot of leverage. They also have the largest military. 
Although I would say just because it's more expensive doesn't make it more effective. I think um, at least defensively, Russia could hold its own. Uh, and, 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 and heaven forbid it, but if there's a nuclear war, we lose that too. Yeah, th- this is an interesting point you raised because of a so-called pivot to Asia that's like designed to contain China. Japan, just by virtue of the fact that it has shared interests with the U.S., will offer itself as a potential balance. It's a legit partner. alliance. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. They, Japan's the, the strongest military in Asia other, that's not nuclear, right? They, China has nukes, so China's stronger, but Japan's beaten them every other time they fought, right? And they, they've got their number somehow, but they, they're the biggest economy after China and they're the biggest military. So Japan is looked at from the other, like Malaysia and Vietnam and all that, kind of looked at Japan like, you got to stay anti-Chinese. And I don't mean like, like they're business partners and all that, but when it comes to military affair, uh, Japan is not going to break away from its U.S. alliance and go at it alone. Like that, you know, they need each other. Japan needs the U.S., the U.S. needs Japan. Because China is a, is a beast. I mean, you're talking about billions of people. It's communist-ish. They could attack Taiwan. And I see China's point of view there too. I mean, you need Taiwan neutral because who wants the U.S. to have a launching pad, a land base right next to China? Like, I get why they don't want it there. But they're both right. Like, the way it is, Taiwan is a sovereign nation. It is just kind of silly to pretend like they're not. But they cannot cannot be allied with either side. Yeah. And that's just how it's going to be. That's the best situation. Do you get the impression that there's a lot of anti-China sentiment in Japan or like even like a desire to confront it? I mean, they definitely don't want to live there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just on, on every measuring stick, Japan is better at everything. Yeah, like, big time. But, you know, way better quality of life, especially on the average, right? Like Western China is a fourth world country. China has more homeless people than Texas has people. Right. Japan's 90% middle class, longer life expectancy, better mass transit, better health, better education, better pick something, you know. Um, even in the cultural stuff, you know, martial arts and anime and all that, Japan is just whooping ass. Uh, products too, cars, cameras, whatever. No, nobody, you know what China's known for? Dollar store goods, right? What's Japan yeah. known for? Quality stuff. Probably, probably the best stuff on earth. You know, is that's why the Toyota Hilux is the is the truck of ISIS. Those things are indestructible. You know, um, they make good stuff. And even people that hate Japan, even like bitter older Koreans, are like, yeah, but they do build things pretty well. You know, but and I think they were sort of forced into that economic strategy because you cannot compete with China on the trinket dollar store level. You have to go for quality because. The sheer mass of Chinese mass production on low skill products is just going to overwhelm you. So, and Japan lacks a lot of resources. They don't have fossil fuels and so on. And so, making quality finished products is their only survival method is to get high skill, high level products and sell them, uh, finished goods. So, they got to buy resources from everyone else and, and arrange them and put them together in such a way when, in which they've done in their electronic industry. Their most flat screen TVs, solar panels, all that's Japanese, hybrid cars, nanotechnology, a lot of biological instruments and stuff are Japanese. And then, of course, the automobiles and the cameras. 
things like that. They did slip on the cell phone. That's more of a South Korean thing. They do have the second most semiconductors after Taiwan. They, they have rare earth metals, the only country other than China that has them. So Japan's, you know, they have their niche. They've done well with cultural exports. I think most people like Japan. Yeah, soft power is one of like Japan's. The, like, the video games, oh, I mean, man, that they dominated that forever. Yeah. It's really just Japan and the US in that market. And I guess the phone games, but for consoles, it's it was Nintendo, PlayStation, all, and all that, and arcade and Sega and stuff all day, every day. So. Oh, yeah. Big, yeah, undoubtedly. That's, yeah, in fact, like China is actually like pretty, for a country its size, it's, its soft power is really not that impressive when you compare it to like Japan. Yeah, imagine like South a, Korea. a billion and a half Japanese people. They'd run everything. Yeah. It's, it's 120 million. It's, it's the size of California and land and, um, you know, a bit bigger, but sizable country. I mean, Russia is like 150 million, Japan's 120, 128, something like that. But China is <laughs> billions, man. Yeah. And China's really screwed the pooch on its economic policies. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a kind of weird six families that run the whole thing. It's oligarchs, but yeah, they, they take private property. They don't allow, they don't enforce copyright law, which stifles innovation, which causes them to become a parasite on everyone else. And, you know, it's, they, they got problems. But I think with a country that size, with a population that size, how could you not have problems? I like the U.S. would never even reach that size because the violence would break out way before a billion, billion and a half, right? Way before. So we can criticize it, but I'm like, could anyone else manage that? No. I don't know. Now, let's go to Russia's military operation in Ukraine, which is like the talk of the town in terms of geopolitics. What are your mm. initial thoughts on that whole conflict? I wasn't surprised. You know, they've been attacking Donbass for eight years and they rolled out and hit him with heavy artillery on February 17th. And then on the 24th, Putin rolls in. And uh, writing's on the wall. I mean, they can lie about it on Twitter and wherever all day, but Ukraine is getting losing a thousand guys a day now. And uh, they're going to yeah. lose the entire Donbass. That might happen like at any moment. Um, Kyrgyzstan's gone and Russia's going to roll into Odessa like that. And there's nothing anyone can do. NATO cannot stop it. That's just going to happen. But I, like I said, I'm not surprised. Russia tried everything. I, I'm surprised this didn't happen earlier, you know, last December or something. But Joe Biden's very weak president. His um, blitzkrieg sanctions backfired right now. It's just the Europeans and the, and the Americans that have the shortages and the you know, America's running out of tampons now. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a yeah, clown world. <laughs> it is. It's, it's actually it's actually funny when you think about it. The that like Germany is basically running a 21st century version of like the Morgenthau plan, like that one plan to like fully deindustrialize its like country, and it's like right. doing this just to like own Putler and all this. It's like hilarious and, and like tragic too, because this after this incident, we are beginning to see the geoeconomic and geopolitical like irrelevancy of like Europe on the world stage. It makes Putin look like some sort of super genius because you, <laughs> no foreign leader, could design and do the damage to Germany, United States, and so on that they're doing to themselves. Yeah. 
Like no one has that much power. Like, oh, let's get them to stop buying natural gas and oil that they don't have and turn off their nuclear energy at the same time and close down a pipeline they'd already paid for. And yeah, talk about like, <laughs> Yeah, you couldn't make, you're like, wow, they, they're just destroying themselves. Is it worse than a natural disaster? Worse than, you know, even like a Chernobyl type nuclear disaster? Worse than anything Russia could do? are liberals. There's nothing more dangerous to your society than giving liberals control over anything because you will go bankrupt. Yeah, big time. Now, let's talk about Israel's role in this conflict because it, at, at a glance, it looks like it's neutral and somewhat restrained when it comes to like the sanctions and dumping a bunch of military aid into Ukraine. But, big but here... There are like some reports of Israeli nationals working with some of like the hard right militias on the Ukrainian side. Plus, there's a significant sure. demographic of Ukrainian Israeli dual citizens that help bankroll a lot of these efforts. Based on like the research you've conducted, what kind of role has Israel played uh, during the Russo-Ukrainian conflict? Well, Israel has a hard time, obviously, because of the Russian role in Syria. Russia can make things mm -hmm. very difficult for Israel, uh, if they, which they did. They gave them S-300 systems, which were shot at Israeli planes. Israel never gives money or weapons. They, they have the U.S. to do that on their behalf. So that doesn't mean anything. But there's vital interest with a lot of these uh, Ukrainian oligarchs, like Ihor Kolomoisky and others, that are very much in the, uh, what well, I could just call the Zionist empire. What do they expect Russia to do? Invade Moscow? Like, it's a dinky state that can hardly handle just Hezbollah, not even all of the Le Lebanese, right? They lost the war in 2006. They got their ass handed to them by Gaza in their last conflict. So you want them to take on the Russians? <laughs> okay. Israel's a paper tiger. Uh, their power is in media and banking and things like that. Physically... These, those guys would shit themselves. I mean, they're called the Israeli diaper force for a reason. They have sent some mercenaries over, whatever. But their main thing was they supported the conflict in the beginning because it was a pretext to get a bunch of Jewish refugees from Ukraine to Israel. And that was their policy. They took in refugees, but only if they're Jews. Yeah. It didn't matter that, oh, you're war-torn, you're running away, and you're a refugee. And no, and then I was like, no, we just want to increase our Jewish demographic to help rule over Palestinians. Like they, they don't give a fuck about Ukrainians. But they, a lot of these ethnic supremacists, you know, in their mind, think that, oh, we need more Jews down here. Well, let's take advantage of this situation, you know, and, and only allow these people to immigrate and no one else. And they'll take that deal because they, you know, they got nowhere to go. They're, they're legit refugees. These are not just people looking for welfare or something. These are people running from a real peer-to-peer -peer conflict with M14 tanks and all the rest. I mean, this is not fighting insurgents. This is a war, war. And you know, they don't know how bad it's going to get or not. So they flee. Millions of them. Well, Israel soaked up a bunch of the uh, the particular brand of people they wanted and told everyone else to fuck off. So that's the same, that's the sickness of Israel. Like, oh, we'll take you if you're Jewish. Hmm. I've noticed something similar 
with regards to the Islamization of Europe, where you have seen a lot of the perils of diversity take place there and a spate of a lot of quote-unquote anti-Semitic attacks that the Israelis do exploit to recruit Jews that live like in Europe to like bring them into Israel. And that's there's definitely like a very much like a geopolitical objective there to just bring in as many Jews as possible to displace Palestinians in Israel. And I've um, talked to Israelis before that say that they they've like literally said they like it when they see anti-Semitic attacks go down in Europe because it's just another justification for Jews just to move to Israel. A lot of them, they do themselves. You know, it's the old joke, what you doing, Rabbi? He's got the spray paint can with the Nazi symbol. <laughs> and they've they've orchestrated themselves. I mean, they they did false flags throughout Northern Africa and the Middle East to get Jewish diaspora to flee to Israel. Like the Holocaust wasn't enough. They have to, you know, oh, you're being attacked. It's coming again. And to get them to move there. Nobody wants to move there. There's constant violence. Like, why would you leave Brooklyn to go live in Tel Aviv when, you know, there could be a, could be a car bombing or whatever? Uh, there used to be suicide bombings even or rocket attacks and all that. And they have a hard time balancing it out because at the one hand, they want to be like, Hamas is firing rockets every day, but they don't want to push that too much because they want people to come there. So it's kind of a canard. It's like, oh, but we have the Iron Dome. Like, they're not shooting tons of rockets every day. There's nothing being fired at you any day uh, until you usually you went and bulldozed some child or shot somebody in the balls or whatever, and then they fire two or three rockets, maybe 30 during a war, you know, with no warheads, no propulsion system, no guidance. These are like potato gun, katushas, whatever, versus like F-15s. It's such a piece of shit country. And they they get away with the utmost depravity and every manner of abuse that anybody could do to anybody because they completely run the media. They, the press will not even tell you what a settlement is. It's the Jewish colony squatting on indigenous people. It's Manifest Destiny 2.0. They won't tell you. And a lot of countries have figured out if you want to get away with a crime just involve the Israelis, and the U.S. will look the other way. (laughs) True that. (laughs) Including Al-Qaeda. Fucking Al-Qaeda. Like attacks on 9-11 and we're giving weapons in Syria, right? (laughs) Al-Nusra, HTS. Yeah, exactly. They got all that non-lethal aid from Obama, and they got lethal aid from the CIA through Purple Shovel and all these intermediaries. And and Turkey's been giving them aid, and, and Saudi Arabia's been giving them aid. It's it's a giant proxy force. And I'll tell yeah. you that where, where these bridges will connect, and I hope I'm wrong, but all these in-laws and javelins and the, you know, and the man pads that made its way into Ukraine will not stay in Ukraine. Al-Qaeda is going to buy some of these. Yeah. And it's just going to take one guy, you know, standing near the runway in France, just take out a commercial airliner. Like, that... Man pads are so dangerous. Like even Obama and, and Trump, like, no, we're not giving them those, right? Well, they got them now because you flooded the, the most corrupt country in the world, or at least in Europe, possibly the world, Ukraine, with, with a bunch of this obsolete military gear, but it's, it's not that obsolete. It'll take out a plane. Um, now they're everywhere. Bravo. Yeah. Like, 
oh, what could go wrong? Let's just flood, let's just give a bunch of neo Nazis man pads, you know, and leave the black market open. Hooray. My theory is that once it becomes apparent that the Ukrainian deal is a lost cause, they're going to tap into the transnational Sunni Islamist networks. These people routinely use, you see it all the way from like Bosnia to Xinjiang. Yeah, I mean, they kind of tried that in Chechnya, right? They, yeah. They, they're going to do that in Central Asia now. I think they're, they're going to really crank that up to cock block both Russia and China there and tap into that. We've seen that since like the Mujahideen all the way to like Syria, the same, like it's like the same. Yeah, you know, last year there was the Azerbaijani Armenian war. And my fear, yeah, also, I don't want to give yeah. him any ideas, but an Azeri, yeah. <laughs> yeah, an Azeri uprising in Iran would be the only way you could get into Iran. Oh, yeah, I mean, like Azerbaijan is basically like an Israeli, like Turkish proxy. Like, if you look at like the type of cooperation they do on like military affairs like they one one thing about that oh yeah they're atc yep. yeah 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 we used like to call it the british petroleum which is called yeah baku bp but it's actually hilarious during that nagorno karabakh conflict that the israelis got mad that turkey really ratcheted up that conflict because a lot of like israeli tech was on full display there especially the drones and everything and they were like the Israelis got angry that like that stuff was like being uh, used there, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. Historically, one way that Iran has been undermined is like through fifth columns within. And I would not be surprised if a lot of these Azeris that live in Iran, which is like nearly like twenty percent of their population, right? Um, if a lot of them are like Mossad assets as well, well, it's the only way in. Like I actually had I can think of something worse they could do, but I, I mean, why? Why help them out? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, I, I'm I'm just gonna sit on that one and say nothing. Yeah. I don't care about. Oh, you predicted that. I'm just. I, I'd rather not be right. So yeah. I'm just not gonna say anything. But there's something uh, worse than what I just said. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's not give like the Mossad boys any ideas here. Right. Um, Fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> now Turkey too. Yeah. Yeah. Now about like this new multipolar order and that's like emerging. How do you think it'll impact U.S.-Israeli relations? And will this order also make it harder for Israel to pull off a lot of its geopolitical shenanigans, like the way it used to oh, during yeah. the unipolar moment? Well, that's, I mean, a lot of these oligarchs are physically losing assets right now. Kolomoisky's oil refineries are on fire. So... Some of these bastards are going down. Um, just checking my bigot arena real fast. Oh, two in here. Can I, I read a couple shekel chats? Chip Walker says, greetings. Mike F says, I still think you're the best rye. P1 Dizzy says, just kicking this off right by the way. Odyssey chat panel seems to be missing. Therefore, can't donate over there this time. Are all the horsemen coming tonight? Um, four horsemen is tomorrow. We have the thumbnail wrong. But... Yeah, they'll be there tomorrow. Sorry. <laughs> uh, you asked me about U.S.-Israeli relations in this kind of multipolar world now and how it's going to diminish. Yeah. Um, finally, they're starting to lose power. Uh, they got a tight grip around the U.S., but the U.S. is falling apart. And a lot of, you know, you know, people always ask, like, what will it take to wake up Americans to... The abuse of Palestinians and Iraqis and starvation in Yemen and, you know, the list. And I said, mm -hmm. well, none of that, but 
pain. That's what wakes you up. And you know what's painful? A thousand dollars worth of diesel fuel to fill up a truck. You know, six dollars a gallon gasoline shortages in the grocery store. That is what's going to turn the tide politically in the U.S. Is no no amount of lying is going to hide the inflation and the shortages and the border crisis and the rest of it. Like there's going to be a sea change this November, voter fraud or not. That's that is happening. Because the Biden-Harris regime is so bad, the boiled the frog too fast. And it will be after that that Israel's going to be slipping. Now, the, the right wing in the U.S. is just as Zionist as the left on many things. Uh, but they are going to lose their grip. On, they're losing the culture war now. Like they, The pendulum is starting to go the other way. And you can see that already in like Hungary, Belarus, uh, to some degree, Slovakia. It's coming. And there's, you know, there are going to be no confidence votes in some of these European states because of pain. <clears throat> Will Germany cuck? Yeah. But a lot of other places are going to be sick of it. People need bread. They need gas. Like that, like, you know, what do they call them? Sally Soccer Mom, Joe Six Pack on the couch, whatever. There's a blue pill to sleep or whatever until they can't fill up their car and they can't afford food and they can't get baby formula, then they get political. Hey, why is this happening? And that's what's going to do them in because they're going to say, we don't care what's going on over here. Stop giving Israel all this money. Like, we got our own problems here at home. I could see that being pushed. The U.S. is not going to have the, the finances to continue to prop them up all the time. And globally, they've really lost. They've really lost sympathy. Like The, the Irish parliament is openly just lambasting the Israelis all the time, right? And then the entire Middle East hates them. They don't have sway over Asia or Africa. Like, they've got all their eggs in one ba- two baskets, the U.S. and Canada. And U.S. and Canada got their own problems. So, you know what? They're going to lose their grip on a lot of European states. And then Russia is bowing up on them. The, the only country to recognize Luhansk and Donetsk besides Russia was Syria, Right. He's got a loyal partner there with Assad. Very good moves. And Israel is getting behind in the gap, like the drone tech and weaponry and stuff. It ain't there. Syria's got access to Russian air defense. And Russia's way ahead. They have hypersonic missiles there. We're many decades behind technologically in certain niche military fields, which is where real power comes from. (laughs) And so... The day Israel falls, I mean, I'm going to be doing Vaseline snow angels down the hallway. Like, it's just going to be party all the time. Because <laughs> they, they are the sickness. That is the cancer on the world. Like, it never that whole state should never have been created. You know, it's a bunch of terrorists that did it. I have a film called How Terrorists Formed a Nation, even on what they did specifically. It's a sickness. They took us to war in Iraq. They spent trillions of dollars for nothing. They took us to war in Syria. That's, they are the reason we have sanctions on Iran, which also contributes to our gas and oil price hikes. It's the ally no one needs. I mean, all they give you is more demands. There's no benefit in this relationship. It's like an, like an abused spouse that just keeps coming back for more and saying, I know you love me or whatever. Like, that's our relationship with Israel. They just spit on us. They attack us. They steal from us. They hate our enemies. They hate Al-Qaeda. I mean... Who needs friends like that? 
But the biggest thing that's going to turn this around, even more than pain, even more than pain, is if we get free speech. If someone like Elon Musk really opens up Twitter for anyone can say anything that's not illegal, then Israel's done. Because the reason so many people just fa-la-la-la-la, you know, that's their land God gave to them, whatever, is because they don't have a fucking clue what's going on. And they don't have a fucking clue what's going on because Zionists totally monopolize the media in the United States. But it's, it will only take one, one platform that actually has eyeballs to break that monopoly. And it's all over. If Twitter had allowed free speech, the laptops, the diary, like all these things would have come out when they did on A&C Report. But I don't have the audience Twitter has. Like, they did come out, but not big enough, right? If Twitter had been free back then, you know, none of this would have happened. There never would have been a war in Ukraine. There never, the Maidan coup would have been explained right when it happened. Like Things never could have escalated if we had free speech. Because every one of these fucking wars starts with fucking lies. And every one of these fucking lies is spread by the fucking press. So if you fix the press, they can't lie. They can't lie. They can't have war. And the same thing. You fix the press, they can't lie. They can't have corporate bailouts. You fix the press, they can't lie. They can't. It goes on and on. You can't get away with voter fraud if you have a functional press. You can't have a virus panic if you have a functional press. You can't have these pointless wars if you have a functional press. But we don't have a functional press. We got Zionist-occupied media, ZOM. So you want to fix ZOG, you have to fix ZOM. And it just takes one outlet. One outlet. If Elon Musk really went through and cleaned house and just said, you are now allowed to tweet whatever is within the law, it's over. Israel's done. Because they, they are in a completely indefensible position based on their behavior. And if the world saw that, the way they shoot kids for sport and bulldoze homes of doctors and things, that nobody, no ethical, moral person, anybody the IQ above room temperature is going to go along with that craziness. They just don't know about it because they just live on, you know, Facebook and Twitter and CNN or whatever. So they don't have the clue about anything. So it was, it was going to take pain and or free speech to turn things around more so than just oh, Russia and China have more power or whatever. Like the U.S. still still dominate. The EU is over. Europe's over. But the U.S. is a very powerful nation, and it's going to take some. That's not just going to fix like that. That's going to take some time and effort. And I, I intend to be part of that transition. And there you have it, Ryan Dawson. Everyone, before we leave, Ryan, could you tell my? Uh, Listeners, where they can follow your work? Yeah, I run the anti neocon report, like it says on my hat, ANC, ANC report.com. And that's, we've got an Odyssey channel, we have a Telegram, we have VK, which is like Facebook without the censorship, and a Substack. And I'm pretty much banned on everything else. <laughs> we've been banned on like 28 platforms. Well, that's a sign that you're doing something right. Yeah. And that's what happens. Like when you tell the truth about September 11th, you're going to get banned. When you say crazy nonsense, you get a million views because it's not a threat to the system. But when you are a threat to the system, they'll come after you. I can't use PayPal. I can't use Patreon. I can't use YouTube. 
I had 81,000 followers on there. They, they just erased it. I can't use Vimeo. I can't use, you know, you name it. You know, I can't use Twitter. I can't use Facebook. I can't use Instagram. Like, I'm not allowed on any of this stuff because what I have to say matters because it's accurate. And I'm not alone. They, they banned Scott Ritter. They banned Pepe Escobar. They banned Consortium News. They, they threw Assange in prison. You know, like they exiled Snowden. Like the, the people telling the truth get punished because the world is run by criminals. And I'd add to that, a lot of these criminals are pedophiles. And that, that, I mean, that's a story for another day, the sickness. But I've made a map. I don't know if you're aware of the map or not of Epstein, but it's... Uh, it goes, it's deep. A lot of these people in positions of power, Macron, you know, Clinton, are totally compromised sexually. Yeah, that'd be a great topic for another episode for sure. It's a nice teaser for later, I guess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on, Ryan. Peace. Thanks for having me on. And to my audience, I appreciate your generous attention. And with that, El Nino has spoken.